my name is Rachel Saputro. I am a Covenant member at the well, and I'm a part of the Soul SEG. Um, today, I'll be reading Psalm 23 in Bahasa, Indonesia, which is the main language of my parents' home country, Indonesia. Masmur Daud. Tuhan bagaikan seorang gembala bagiku. Aku tidak kekurangan. Ia membaringkan aku di padang rumput yang hijau. Ia membimbing aku menuju air yang tenang. Ia memberi aku kekuatan baru dan menuntun aku di jalan yang benar sesuai dengan janjinya. Meskipun aku melalui lembah yang gelap, aku tidak takut bahaya sebab engkau menemani aku. Engkau melindungi aku seperti seorang gembala melindungi dombanya dengan tongkat dan gada. Engkau menyiapkan pesta bagiku di depan mata lawanku. Engkau menyambut aku sebagai tamu terhormat. Engkau menyuguhi aku minuman lezat berlimpah-limpah. Aku tahu engkau baik kepadaku dan selalu mengasihi aku. Maka aku boleh diam di rumahmu selama hidupku. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> What's up, people? How are we? Good, good, good. Uh, man, it's good to be here. Rachel, thank you for reading, friend. Uh, I sort of only want to read scripture in a different language after this series is over. I'm not going to lie. I love this. So I hope the original uh, reason and vision for doing this is still kind of fresh in our heads and that we would kind of know uh, even who we want to be and where we want to go as a church. So y'all ready? All right, let's dive in. We are going to be looking at verse 5b from what Rachel just read uh, this afternoon. And it very simply reads, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So today we're going to be focusing on the fact that God is our priest and our blesser. As we're looking at him as our shepherd, we're looking at all these different elements of who God is. And today the element we'll be focusing on is the fact that he is our priest and our blesser. So someone look to your neighbor and say, God anoints you. That was not very good. Look to your other neighbor and say, God blesses you. Not like hachu, but like God literally blesses you, right? Uh, now listen, out of all the sections of this psalm, this little section was actually the one with the least amount of commentary. Often scholars would make a very basic blanket statement over this and then move on to define goodness and mercy in the next section. And I think that that kind of tips our hand at a lot of Christians thinking. And the reason why this is a hard passage for many is because of the goodness that is wrapped up within it. Let me explain that. The, the passage literally states that God blesses you. That's really the, the thrust, the, the only message of this particular part of this section is that God blesses you, that he lavishes goodness upon you. He gives you very, very, very wealthy abundance of good things. And I think the reason that we're slow to preach this and the reason that we're slow to believe this is really threefold. I think there's three reasons why we don't believe a passage like this to be true. One of them is that we actually don't know how to reconcile this passage with the valley. 
And so we just exited the valley onto this part of God. And the fact that at times, even for followers of Jesus, there seems to be this extended, prolonged period of the valley makes this passage seem almost unimaginable or unreal. Like, like this section is a lie. And we don't want scripture to be a lie, so we don't actually believe fully in the goodness of God. But just because the valley is a frequent uh, present reality for many believers doesn't mean that God's overflowing mercy is a fairy tale. It doesn't mean that his goodness is withheld from us in any way. In fact, what the valley often does is make the anointing showers of God's mercy that much sweeter and more beautiful in our life. It makes the goodness of God that much more real to us. And we'll get to that more in a second. But I think that a reason why a lot of us are afraid to say that God blesses us in the seasons where everything is kind of falling apart is because it makes him seem unfaithful. It makes him seem like he's rejecting a promise like this. So we're slow to profess his blessing on our life. But simply put, family, even in seasons of struggle, God is indeed blessing you. You see, at times, what God is doing is he's cleansing you from the sin that would destroy you much more than his sanctifying situation does. Ooh, some of y'all missed that. Y'all with me this morning? Remember, we can talk during the sermon. This is a continuation of a worship session. You don't have to, all right? Some of y'all worship with your hands. I know what that's like, okay? But some of us like to worship with our mouth, and you can talk back and think about the goodness of God. Listen, God is sanctifying you, family of God, and in his sanctification, it is often his deliverance from sin that would destroy you that much more if he did not put you through the trial in the first place. You see, even in the valley, God is blessing you. And even in the valley, what God is often doing is preparing the feast that you're going to have, which we'll talk about more next week. And we can't forget that reality. And so the valley does not contradict the goodness of God. Oftentimes, it only reveals it that much more. I think the second reason why we don't think about this often or we don't proclaim this truth is because we have a warped view of who God is in our minds. Too many of us do not view God as a benevolent blesser, but as a stingy withholder. We do not view God as somebody who wants to richly pour out his mercy upon us. And so we don't believe this is true because we actually don't believe that God gives good gifts. We don't believe in his ever-flowing love for us, that rather than showering down gifts on his children, we tend to think that God withholds them at times. We treat God a lot more like a, like a tolerant school teacher than we do a graciously, abundantly giving father. Unless I'm just talking to me up here. Y'all don't believe these lies? Right? This has more to do with us than with, our, than, than with God. It has more to do with our picture of God than it does with the reality of God and the truth of who he really is. You see, often we think that God is withholding because we don't have that one thing that we deeply want. And when we focus on that one thing, it seems like he's withholding. But in reality, he's given us 1,000 blessings in the process of withholding the one. And we don't see God's goodness in the midst of that. So we focus on the one rather than the thousand. And then all of a sudden, our picture of God is distorted. But God has not changed. Our view of him is just twisted. 
I think about that even this week. My wife and I took a really quick kind of family trip out to Galveston to go to the beach. Now, I ain't going front. When we say beach, I don't think like brown waters. I'm from Michigan. So I think like beautiful lakes. And we got there, and it's like, yo, this junk is kind of dirty, right? Uh, but anyway, we went, and it was really, really fun. And my wife planned it really well, and our kids had a great time. And so the first day, we're out there, and we go to Pleasure Pier, which is like the little pier with like the Ferris wheel and roller coasters, all that stuff. And they were loving it. They were digging it, right? And then we went and got some Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, right? And we were eating that, and we loved it. And then we went and got some ice cream afterwards, and we were loving it. And then it was like 9.30, and they kind of wanted to stay up a little bit longer. It's like, no, nah, we got a busy day tomorrow. You got to go to sleep. Oh. And all of a sudden, there's a fit, right? And it's like, look, we done gave you all these things, and now you already up past your bedtime, and now you throwing a fit. I should spank your tail, and then you'll see how good you really had it, right? That's why I ain't God, okay? But oftentimes, I think that we are more like kids than we would like to admit. And so we miss the fact that we have our health or a job or the fact that there's breath in your lungs, Like the fact that we are breathing right now is evidence of God's merciful grace because the scriptures say he sustains every single breath in our lungs. This is good news and yet we forget this reality or the fact that we have a church that we can worship in. Like I don't mean a physical building, I mean the body of believers that actually for the most part kind of love each other fairly well. And we forget that reality that we have these gifts or this family or a car to drive. Even if you had to intercede to the Holy Ghost to get here today, your car got you here. <laughs> Hallelujah, <laughs> right? right? You ever speak in tongues over that, all right? And within this, I think some of y'all are like, what just happened? It's all right. We're taking you back today. Within this family, you also got to realize you have salvation, You have salvation either received or offered freely to you that you can receive if you believe in Jesus. And if you do believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit of God has been placed on your life and you are able to walk in the Spirit. We were less than children and yet now because of God's precious blood that he poured out for you, you are not only children, you see at the table in the presence of your enemies, though you were once an enemy. This is good news. We were enemies and God loves us anyway. In fact, Psalm chapter 84, verse 10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of the armies of heaven's angels, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is good news, right? The Bible is often filled with these expressions of how God gives over the top more than we could think or ask. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Psalm 34, verse 10 says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come on now. Y'all better hear from the words of God. This is the word of God over our life, the God of the universe proclaiming truths about what he thinks about you. Ephesians chapter two, or 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Listen, family of God, we think that the valley negates the promise, but the valley only proves the promise. The valley only proves the reality of who our God is because we cannot long for something that cannot actually be obtained. And so the fact that you long for even more goodness in your life is not because it is unattainable, it's because God has hardwired that into you, intricately creating you to long for a greater good that he himself can give. Your God gives good gifts. Your God lavishes them upon you. Your God wants you to know him deeply. And if you do not receive them today, you better rest assured if you're a believer in Jesus, you will receive them one day. The things that you are longing for, you will receive one day if you are a believer in Jesus. We'll get to that more in a moment. But I don't want us to have a wrong view of God just because we're missing something that we desire. In fact, oftentimes when we're missing it, it's because he's saving you from idolatry anyway. Ooh, come on now, right? More on this in a moment, okay? I think the third reason that we do not believe that God lavishes goodness upon us while we're afraid to comment on it, while we're afraid to talk about it, is because of a fear of the prosperity gospel. Oftentimes, what happens is we start wanting the things of God rather than God himself. We want the gifts rather than the gift giver. We want creation over creator, and that is the prosperity gospel. And this is a problem in the States, and it's a problem actually in my own culture that I grew up in because every gift, though it is good, is absolutely rubbish and trash compared to the only true gift, which is God himself. And the problem is, is that when we start saying things like this, we could be tempted to fall in love with the gifts of God rather than the giver of those gifts, God himself. And so we want to shy away from that, and then we act like God doesn't give good gifts to his children. So let's not have a wrong view of God there either. Let's not think that he's withholding just because of our fear of the prosperity gospel in a sense. In fact, I love how David lays this out in Psalm 73, verse 25. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing I desire on earth besides you. I love that reality because the earth part we get. We're like, yeah, yeah, we know this earth is perishing and even the good things, they tend to fail us at times. But I want you to realize what Asaph here in this psalm is saying. He's saying, even if I got to heaven and if I had all of my health and if I had all of my riches and if I had all of my family and if I had that job I finally wanted or that spouse I finally wanted or that money I finally needed or if I'm able to finally have a full physical body again, if I dwell in all of eternity with all of those things but I don't have God, I have nothing. I have nothing. That is how good our God is. And so the reality is that God is beautiful. And I think that at times we don't want to then start laying out the gifts that God gives and make it intercept with our vision of the gift giver himself. I think about my own story once again. I grew up in a church that preached the prosperity gospel. That's actually where I got saved at. And so, A, God still can do work amongst even bad theology at times. Don't get it twisted. Okay, but also what I'm realizing is that there's all this truth that's wrapped up in it. It's just this 2% that begins to twist things that landed me thinking that, man, the gifts of God were better than God himself. That because I was a believer in Jesus, now I would receive these things that often my flesh wanted. And yet when I received those things, I ended up worshiping something other than God. That is not the gospel. Because even if I get to heaven and everything is there, but I don't have God, what do I have? 
God is the only good. And so personally, I often feel afraid to preach truths such as this because I saw an abuse of it in my life. I saw my pastor that was preaching God's future promises to us as a now reality, even in the broken world that we live in. And I saw him mistake this physical blessing as important or maybe even as more important than the spiritual blessings that God actually gives. But very simply put, family of God, please hear me, all of these fears that these commentators were hesitant to speak about are understandable fears because no gift is greater than God. God may be withholding good things from you because he knows to give you those things were to send you headlong into idolatry of loving the land of God versus loving the love of God. And so we cannot fall victim of that. And also within all of this, you can't kind of like reverse psychology God either. You know what I'm saying by that? Like you're like, oh God, I'm so content with this house because you secretly want a new house. <laughs> Look, like, you ain't smarter than God, player, <laughs> all right? And so you have to just simply long for your heart to know God as being this good, that God is the greatest good, that he is the, the, the thing that our hearts should desire. In Psalm chapter 16, verse five, David says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The cup can be earthly blessings and, and praise God when you have them, but woe to you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul in the process. You see, God desires something deeper for us and of us. And this is true when we have Jesus, we have the greatest good. At the same time, though, family, with all of those caveats, I want to tell you that when I was in Galveston this week, seeing my kids have fun, I really enjoyed it because I like when they receive good gifts. Now, I know if I give that to them too much and they become kind of stingy and kind of entitled and all of a sudden this is bad for them. So I understand how to give it in portion to not turn them into idolaters, but I love seeing them have fun. And if I, as a wicked father, love seeing my kids enjoy the things that we can give them, does God, your heavenly father, not enjoy that from you as well? You see how we have a twisted view of God that would almost make it seem like he doesn't want to bestow blessing on his children, like he doesn't want us to be happy. We have this weird kind of fatalistic understanding of God at times. Let's not be fearful of saying that God gives us good gifts. He does. He gives us good things, and there is nothing greater or gooder, there's nothing more good than God, and God has already given us himself, and so if he's already given us himself, won't he also give us all things, as the, song, or as the Romans 8 read? You see, everything else is just icing on the cake, and I want to tell y'all, he gives you that too. He actually gives you all the things your heart desires in time. And I wanna unflesh that reality here because some of them are in the future and some of them are now, but all the promises are yes and amen in Christ. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. But David knows that God gives great gifts and there is actually healing for our souls in the midst of this truth. Remember, this series is about healing. And one of the ways that we heal is by understanding that God is as good as he says he is that he actually gives good gifts to his children, that even in the valley, it's a gift of God to sanctify us or ready us or, or use us, and we can trust God in the midst of this. And so we have to believe that God is for our good. And I wanna ask you that. Do you believe that God is for your good? Like, I want you to actually think about that question. I'm not just asking that rhetorically because we know the answer in our head. I want you to know the answer in your heart. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that he's for your good? 
Do you believe that he wants to give you all good things? Like, do you really believe it? Not, not, not intellectually, but an actual heart knowledge that God is good. And it's okay if the answer is no here, y'all, because I wanna tell you the answer is no for me. The answer is, I believe that God is decent to me, but when I look at the psalm and think about how much God lavishes blessing upon me, I tend to not actually believe that much good of God. And what we have to realize is that this is a lie that's been embedded in our hearts by Satan to not believe in the goodness of God. If the blood of Jesus does not prove to us that he wants to give us all things, then I think we miss the beauty of God. I think we miss how benevolent and good he actually is. And I want us to uproot the lie so that we can be healed in the valley and also uproot the lie so that we don't worship the gifts once we're on the mountaintop. Some of y'all missed that too. I want us to believe in the goodness of God because it'll uproot the lie that he's not good when we're in the valley and it'll also deliver us when we're on the mountaintop to not worship the gifts over the gift giver. It'll put us in balance of that tension of God's goodness and the brokenness and idolatry of this world and of our own hearts. Look at some of the things real quickly that David realizes about God here. David said that God anoints his head. Now remember, David was a king, and so David, he knew what it meant to be anointed. Samuel, he anointed him to be king. In fact, David was anointed three times throughout his life. And so don't miss the gravity of this, the anointing and the laying on of hands and the pouring on of oil. It means something. It's really honoring and profound in a lot of ways. In fact, if you were with us at the outdoor gathering uh, in October, I believe, we actually laid hands on and anointed Juhan. And there's an, aw, it's like, yeah, I heard that, right? Uh, and we laid hands on him and we anointed him. And we're saying, look, we believe that he has what it takes to be able to plant a church and to lead people. And so you see in a second picture, you can't see in my hand, but I'm holding this like oil, all right? And we poured it all over Juhan's head. It also got on my Jordans and it stained them and I was a little bit salty about that. You, you didn't know that, did you? Until just right now. <laughs> But I loved it because he was honored, okay? Go to the next picture. I just wanted to show, look how happy he is. He got anointed. He's like, look, I'm happy. <laughs> just kidding. I just want to show that just to see him cheesing, all right? But I hope he felt honored there because there's something honoring about being anointed, having hands laid upon you. David felt that throughout his life. He was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel, of God's chosen nation. But what I know about these pictures is that my hands or Christine's hands or the elders' hands actually meant nothing. Because in reality, although I want him to receive honor and I want him to realize the spiritual blessing and the authority that was given by our church, my hands meant nothing compared to God's hands. You see, God was already anointing this man because this text reads that each of us who believes in Jesus has already been anointed by God the Father. No, that deserves a praise dance in the middle of this dang sermon. You have been anointed do you understand the gravity of that? That God anoints you, he anoints your head. If Samuel's anointing was power over David's life, how much more is God's anointing? How much more is his anointing over us? And family of God, the Holy Spirit inspired David to write this, not just for David's sake, but for your sake as well, because the scriptures are also true for us. 
And because they're true for us, that means this passage is true as well. The anointing hand of God has touched your head and he has poured out his blessing over you. Do you believe this? That God is this good in your life? You have been anointed by God. I might stop my sermon right here, low key. Do you understand this? You have been anointed by God. The God of the universe has laid his hand upon you if you are a believer and he has anointed you. The Holy Spirit of God now dwells inside of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. This is why through Jesus we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as in guarantee. In fact, that word oil, which we'll get to more in a second, is often a representation of the Holy Spirit. And so what anointing was, was it was this thing that was used to set things apart. And you have been given the Holy Spirit of God. You have been called into his service. You have been given good. He has anointed you. You and I, who do not deserve to even be at the table of God, are now not just friends. We become sons of the living God. We get invited into the family of God. We become the bride of Christ. He has brought us so wildly close. You have been anointed. How dare our hearts say that God does not give us good things. God gives us such good. Christ, that word Christ means the anointed one. It's this word anointing that we keep talking about. So identified are you with Christ that you would literally begin to take on his name that you would be anointed as well. Christian, Christian, the anointed one. We are anointed, set apart by God to follow him. God has showered down blessings upon you, family of God. Like why would the Lord give us this honor, y'all? Why would he give us this mercy? We who are so prone to forget the gracious goodness of God, he lays it over us and showers it upon us. This is God's goodness. The word, it carries even deeper though, because for David, there's this double meaning here. That Hebrew word for anointed is literally uh, the word uh, to be fat in a good sense, right? So all the other uses of that word anointing is actually a totally different Hebrew word. And so when they like anoint a cup to set it apart for service, that's a different Hebrew word. This word anointed is the word fat. And the word oil is also the word fat as well. So it could literally translate, you fatten my head with fatness. Okay? Now look, this ain't like the grade school joke, you know what I'm saying? Like, you little pizza face. It's like, ooh, you little fat head, bobble head, shack head, right? It ain't that, okay? <laughs> David is saying, you give goodness upon goodness. You give the best of yourself. You see, the fat of the land, which we still kind of use that phrase today, was actually a Hebrew phrase to say the best part of the land. In fact, throughout the scriptures in Leviticus 3, for example, the fat of the meat offering was set apart for God because that was the best part of the offering. And so you would give your best to God. And what David is saying is, look, we try to offer these sacrifices to you and give our best to you, but God, you actually give your best best on top of your best to us. David writes this before the crucifixion, by the way. 
He has no idea the deep reality of this truth. The Holy Spirit of God is leading him to understand this reality, but you and I understand it far more than David did. If David saw the goodness of God, can you and I look at the cross of Christ and not see his goodness? Do we realize how beautiful and how good God is? The the true and better high priest of God has anointed you with oil. He has set you apart. He's made you special to be used by God in beautiful ways. By the way, that was a word for someone in here today. The Lord of the heavens has set you apart and has made you special for special use to him. He wants to use you in special ways. He has anointed you, consecrated you, set you apart to be used. How dare you allow your sin to speak more power than the grace of God? (laughs) Hallelujah. God's grace is over you, family of God. And you know what? I don't care how much Satan has lied to your soul. I almost just cussed in this mug. (laughs) You better skip that demon liar. And you better skip your flesh too. That would tell you something other than the fact that God wants to use you, that God wants to take that life of yours and multiply it for his good. He has anointed you and set you apart for his goodness. He has set you apart for his use. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, you have been anointed. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've been anointed by God. And God has set you apart in these beautiful ways. Y'all better walk in that truth, family. You better believe that truth and walk in it. In fact, the term oil, what this represents is this beautiful kind of multi-purpose thing that David's trying to lay out. For the sheep, which was the original analogy, this text kind of jumps in and out of the shepherd analogy, right? Uh, What would happen is flies would land on the sheep's head and would implant their larva into the sheep's kind of skin. I know, we go from like, you've been anointed by God, the larva of flies, right? Okay. But the sheep would become so irritated and so itchy that they would ram their heads against the trees trying to get the fly larva out. And so what the shepherd would do is he would pour oil over the head of the sheep so that the flies couldn't bury themselves underneath the sheep's head and so that they would be protected from irritation. Listen, sin also tries to lay its maggotry underneath your flesh. And the Holy Spirit of God has anointed you to cover you that it might slide right off you if you choose to walk in the Spirit versus gratify the flesh. That is good news, y'all. We should worship the Spirit of God for that. You are not a slave anymore. God has set you free, family of God. And so this oil had this healing effect for the sheep, and that's God healing us from our wounds and our scars and the danger of sin. But it also had a consecration effect for the priest, which we already talked about, and this coronation effect for the king, which we already talked about. It honored them in a lot of ways. So oil affects you is what David is highlighting. God's presence changes us is how we apply that. The presence of God, it changes our lives. Not literally, the the oil we poured on Juhan didn't do anything but stain my shoes, all right? (laughs) However, however, often a physical representation of something like oil is really meant to highlight the spiritual reality of what's actually going on. And so David is using the physical representation of oil and all the benefits of it to spiritually highlight what's really going on behind the scenes. You, if you are a Christian, have been healed by God. You have been protected from further sin if you walk in his grace. You have been consecrated and set apart.
apart for God and you have been coronated. You are princes and princesses. One day to sit on the throne with him, y'all. This is good news. <clears throat> this ain't prosperity gospel either. It's just good news. Because the gospel is good news. And is this not good news to your soul? You see, the world tells you you're not enough. Christ says, no, 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 I bled for you. I see you as I see myself. You are worthy of all things. If you're worthy of the blood of Jesus, will he not also give you all things, the text says. David finishes by saying his cup overflows. And by overflowing, I think at times we believe that like everything's always going to be awesome. So then when it's not, we believe that this is a wrong promise and we don't know how to apply it. And listen, y'all, Satan will always try to get us to misunderstand and to misinterpret Scripture because he knows the power of God's words. Don't miss that, y'all, right? He knows the power of the Word of God. You see, Satan in the garden, guess what he did to Eve? Did God really say, and then he got her to not believe the words of God, and when he was tempting Jesus, he is quoting Scripture saying, is this really what God meant here? And he's trying to get him to falsely apply by creating false interpretation so that it can rob Christ from the goodness that God had for him, so that it can rob Eve from the goodness that he had from her. He's doing the same thing to you today. He is taking the plain words of Scripture and saying, does that really mean that? And he's trying to get you to not believe the word of God, to begin to follow some false interpretation so that you would miss the blessing of God. The words of God are powerful, y'all. Do not miss this, which I know I'm on a side note right now, but be careful trying to maneuver God's word to, to, to set into your predispositional thinking about God because you may be listening to the lies of enemy who wants to destroy you rather than the lies of God who wants your good. And we have to believe that reality. God's word is always good. And this is true here too, which is why David puts it after the valley. After the valley is when he says that God's goodness flows over him. So just because you're in a valley does not mean that the blessing of God isn't for your good. Remember, David knew suffering more than most of us ever will. And he proclaims this as truth still. Almost overly simplified, y'all, what I'm saying here is that what we need to believe is that God is good to us because he's a good shepherd that gives his children good gifts. Good, good, good is who God is. Our souls will ultimately live in eternal glory and bliss if we believe in Jesus because although we deserve eternal separation from God, Christ was separated that we might be brought into eternal glory with our king. This is good news the ultimate enemy that was defeated, Yusuf talked about last week, he's dead, death. And now we will reign forever if we believe in him. And so trouble may last for the night, but do not allow that to shake you about who God truly is. He is good. David's cup, it overflows with goodness because God's cup never runs dry, y'all. And you have to believe this about God. You cannot outdrain God. He can always give more and more because what he gives you is more and more of himself. There's a story I want to put in our heads as we kind of wrap up our time. And it's a story of this woman named Annie Johnson Flint. Uh, she was a phenomenal woman, was a great writer, a great poet, but she lived an awful life in a lot of ways. Her parents, they died very, very early. Uh, in fact, her mother died when she was in childbirth with her younger sister, and so left Annie to be taking care of them really by herself. Her dad also died soon after that. 
But then there was this foster family that actually took her in and began to shepherd her. And then a few years later, the foster parents died. And so then she was left as an orphan and getting passed around to different systems and just living a very abused life, a lot of neglect growing up. Then her only sister, who she loved and really mothered, became really, really frail. And right when Annie was beginning to take care of her, Annie actually became paralyzed, and she lived the rest of her life in a wheelchair, and she was unable to move her body in every real sense. Life was not enjoyable for this woman. And while she was about to die on her deathbed, she was thinking back over her life, and she writes one of my favorite poems of her about the goodness of God after reflecting on Psalm 23 and all the promises of God. And here's what she said. He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. We can stop right there. He gives more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed or the day half done, When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Hallelujah. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Hallelujah. Family of God, this is the priest of God that sets you apart. He actually gives blessing over and over and over again. And we see this most clearly in the person of Jesus. This is how we know this text is true. For Jesus was the anointed one, Isaiah 61 says, and yet was anointed or set apart for wrath by God that you might be anointed or set apart for mercy. Nah, you better worship Jesus for that. Do you know what you deserved? And Jesus drank it, that you would receive the mercy of God. He drank the sin that would separate us. That was his cup, that your cup may overflow with goodness. You see, the anointed one had his head anointed with blood so that your head would be anointed with goodness. This is hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. As his head was crowned with thorns, your head will one day be crowned with righteousness forever because of Christ Jesus. If he would not spare his son, why would he not also give you all things, family? Listen, I want to end with this thought. I was praying over somebody a few weeks ago for healing, and I really believe that God can heal. In fact, I want to see more of it even in our church And as I was praying over her, I feel like God kind of dropped this idea in my head. And he said to me, I've already answered your prayer request. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, it's interesting. Because that could be like in the immediate, like maybe she will be healed. Hallelujah, praise God. We believe that the kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray for it to come on earth now today. However, here's the reality for this young woman. Because she's a believer in Jesus, God has already answered her prayer request. You see, one day her body will be fully restored. She could take that to the bank. 
She can believe that in its fullness. And so family of God, whatever it is that you may be longing for, I want you to know God can and will and already has and Jesus answered it. You see, you want a spouse? I'm telling you, if you're a believer, you're engaged to the greatest husband that you will ever imagine marrying. And that is good news, y'all. Look, you can be like, oh, I really, really like that man. I feel like I'm a pretty dope husband. Ask Natalie how I am, though. I ain't nothing compared to Jesus. And he is her true husband, not me. And so she is engaged to the greater king one day, though she may have what her heart desires now, it's not the fullness of it. Or you may long for healing, or you may long for these other things, and I want you to know the goodness of God overflows. They're actually yours in Christ. Now we cannot substitute them and worship that over the gift giver himself, because to gain all those things and not have him means we have nothing. But if we have him and he gives us all those other things, should we not forever shout with joy? Should we not ever boast on the goodness of God? Your cup overflows. Your cup overflows, family. I love you guys. Let's pray. Yeah. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your overflowing cup. God, thank you for this church, which is actually a part of my cup overflowing. How often these men and women bless me, bless my family, bless each other. I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for the breath in my lungs and for my health and on and on and on and on we can go. And God, I want to pray for those who may not know you as King and as Lord and as God. Friends, I want you to know that if that's your state, that you do not know Christ as Savior, I want you to know this earth is the greatest blessing you will receive. And this earth is trash. What your heart desires can only truly be found in Jesus. And yet this Jesus has given himself to you freely. That if you but say, Christ, I want a relationship with you, I want to know you. I want, I want you, Jesus. I want this, this blessing that, that this guy is talking about. He is yours. You can have relationship with him by belief. The gospel is so simple that a five-year-old can confess and a five-year-old can walk with Christ. And that is yours if you would but receive him. And family of God, if you have received Christ, realize the blessing of God in your life. See all the good that he's given you. Realize that even if you're in a prolonged valley, that he has restored your soul. That one day, all things will be made right. And that even today, even today, right now, he is still pouring out blessing on top of blessing, on top of blessing, on top of blessing. His mercy, his goodness, it follows you. His power is resting over you. He is your cup. He is your portion. He has given himself to you. And so, Father, I pray we would believe that. I pray even as we go into communion and we look at the cup overflowing, that we would realize what this communion represents. It's your cup, Jesus that overflowed 
with goodness for us as you drank the wrath of God, as you consumed our sin in your body that we might be delivered, we now have goodness all the days of our life. And if this earth has nothing but hell to offer us, we know where we are going in the end. And for eternity, we will be blessed with nothing but the fat of the land, with nothing but goodness, for no reason other than your grace. There is nothing that we gave to you. You gave benevolently to us because you are good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you, Father. We pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.